Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's time for another Benny J bonus interview brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. Bonus time at Avengerowski Show as I speak. It's Friday, August 12th, 2022. I'm about to do a, a great interview with a super cool guy. Uh, uh, we're going to be talking about things that really aren't related to the uh, headlines. I'm going to take a break from the headlines, which have been driving me absolutely crazy lately. Anyway, Josh trying to keep up. But just to give you a sense what's going on in the world, just to give you a sense of what I might be talking about if we were talking politics, just to give you a sense of what I did talk about with David Ferris. So go check out that interview on Saturday. Uh, that I dropped uh, uh, on Saturday. Uh, here's a headline in a breaking story. It's updated like every hour in the New York Times. I'm reading it off my phone. Usually I read it off the newspaper. I'm reading it off my phone. Files are part of Espionage Act and obstruction inquiries. Documents seized from Trump included highly classified material. Yes, a fallout over the FBI raid at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, Donnie Trump's, uh, what did he call it? His Florida White House? <laughs> Anyway, uh, the raid happened Monday. Here we are Friday. We're still talking about it. Uh, we'll be talking about this one for a while. MAGA has lost its collective mind, uh, and it is decided that this is the greatest uh, unwarranted intrusion uh, that the FBI has ever made uh, into the lives of a private citizen. All of a sudden, MAGA has awoken like Rip Van Winkle, like MAGA and its predecessors have been asleep for a hundred years, the FBI has been doing this to lefties and civil rights activists going back to 1919. But MAGA and the MAGA predecessors have been sound asleep on it. And now that's their boy, Donnie Trump. I'm outraged. I've never seen such an injustice. Where were you guys in 1969 when the FBI raided Fred Hampton's house? I will be asking that every day for the next year. MAGA's outraged. <laughs> MAGA. Come on, guys. You don't stand for something. You stand for nothing. Oh, I must have screwed that up. Anyway, enough political talk. I'm going to turn things over to my distinguished guest. And as I do with all distinguished guests on the Ben Jarofsky Show, I'm going to ask him to introduce himself. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Aaron Cohen, and I'm a Chicagoan and author of a couple books, Move On Up, Chicago Soul Music and Black Cultural Power, and Amazing Grace about the Aretha Franklin album. And I teach at City Colleges of Chicago. Yes. And he's also a dear friend of the Ben Jarofsky Show. I think this is his third appearance. One of the most knowledgeable, if not the most knowledgeable man uh, about the music that I love. Everybody makes fun of me, Aaron, because it's like I stopped listening to music about 1979. Uh, I'm I'm really into it. Uh, And so it's really my, my day is 65 to roughly 79. And that's across all elements. So pop, I love pop music. 
uh, soul, R&B, jazz, uh, and rock and roll. Well, uh, I, I don't make fun of you, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> That's because this is your wheelhouse. Let's show you got to see this. Aaron Cohen, this guy's brilliant. He's written books, he's written articles, and we're going to be talking about. Uh, he's the uh, uh, the co-writing uh, Ramsey Lewis's autobiography. We're going to start with that, but you got to see the backdrop. This is such a, a music writer's workroom. There's actual records, like tons of records, books, CDs. Do you still, Aaron, do you still listen to the records or are you totally on Spotify these days? Oh, I don't use Spotify at all. No, I, I listen to physical media, records, CDs. Do I listen to cassettes? No, records and CDs. Um, and, you know, watch DVDs, but uh, I, I don't. I don't use any of that streaming, streaming media stuff. No way. Okay. You're saying uh, you're sneering at it. Uh, is that because there's um, some kind of sound quality distinction you can make? Your ear is expert enough to tell the difference between hearing something on a, a record or a CD as opposed to streaming? Well, one thing I always believe is that music needs to go through the air, you know, um, when it goes directly from a device into headphones, I mean, I listen to headphones because I don't want to disturb my neighbors or disturb my wife when she's home, but I always feel that it's always works best, whether someone is playing an instrument or singing and you're in the room with that person or people, or if you're at home listening, that the music has to go through the air before it hits your ears. So records and CDs are you know, my way of listening to music. I, um, I have a confession to make, Aaron. Uh, since COVID, I've been listening to Spotify. My wife just got rid of uh, about 200 CDs. You know, it's just like we were trying to reduce uh, all the stuff in our house. Uh, so I feel almost like I'm confessing to my priest here. I apologize. <laughs> Absolve me of all. Uh, but uh, man, I got to admit, Spotify got me through. And I have this thing. Okay, I'm going to tell you this right now, Aaron Cohen. So my this, I, I really worry about Spotify ripping off artists. So follow me. This is how Ben justifies listening to Spotify. If the artist has passed, I feel, okay, he's not getting ripped off anymore. So I'll listen to him on Spotify. Or if the artist is still alive, if I own a CD or vinyl, I've got, okay, excuse me, I already bought it. So do I have absolution? Well, um, you know, you justify it however best you can <laughs> so you can sleep at night and, uh, you know, know that you're trying to do some good in the world. Um, so, I, you know, I, I know all these things are out there. They're part of the world we live in, Spotify, all of these other services. And, you know, I admit I watch things on YouTube that the creators are not making money from. So it would be hypocritical. For me to chastise someone for listening to Spotify when I myself, you know, watch things on YouTube that are, you know, not uh, kosher, as they say. So um, I, I can't uh, I can't argue with you there. So here's the thing about Aaron Cohen that you should know. He knows absolutely everything about music from roughly 1960 to, I would say, 2000. He might argue, no, I bet I know beyond, <laughs> but whatever. So anytime this guy is such a topper. So anytime I see him, we're in a coffee shop, I bump into him or I call him <laughs> on the phone. Anytime I'm like, oh, Aaron, man, I'm really enjoying Charles Erlen. Charles Erlen's a great uh, keyboarder. He played the organ. Oh, let me tell you my Charles Erlen story. <laughs> <laughs> Is it possible not to have a story about? 
Well, the Charles uh, Erlen story, that was a real special one. Um, all right. So why don't uh, I just want <laughs> I love the story. And, oh, so everybody knows Charles Erlen is absolutely fantastic. Uh, wonderful. wonderful. Yeah. All right. So you tell the story. Charles Erlen passed. When did he die? Um, let's go a little shout out to Charles. And I want to say he died in early the late 90s or the early mm -hmm. O's. Yeah. Some, that's mm -hmm. about right. Um, uh, so tell your Charles Erland story. Well, Charles Erland, um, wonderful keyboardist, wonderful organist, and he was mainly known for playing the Hammond B3, Hammond B3 organ as a member of groups or as a leader, uh, recorded a wonderful album called Black Talk uh, back about 50-odd years ago. And I interviewed him and a group of other um, jazz organists in um, 1996. It was him... Uh, Dr. Lonnie Smith, Jimmy McGriff, uh, Johnny Hammond Smith, and it was about, you know, jazz organs. And um, Charles Erland felt that in the early 1970s, uh, magazines like Downbeat were um, not too kind to jazz organists. They felt that the jazz organ was a novelty instrument, and Charles Erland, being an organist, felt uh, differently. And by the way, I should add that Charles Erland was also a really big guy. He had this really great booming voice and very commanding presence and also just a very loving man as well. And I had to say, well, look, I mean, I was only a three-year-old kid in the early 70s. I didn't write any of those diatribes attacking organists. And Charles Erland, he knew it wasn't. He said he knew it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Okay. So I did the article. It comes out. A few months later, um, Charles Erlen was playing at the Green Mill, which, um, you know, was, you know, at that time I could walk there. It was about a 20 minute walk from where I live. So I wasn't, I was not driving. And um, I wound up drinking quite a lot that night. And I, um, I passed out from drinking so much. And um, right when I was kind of sort of half in it, half out of it, Charles Erlen's on stage and he says, I want everybody to know that there's a writer here from downbeat magazine and i want downbeat to know that the organ is not about articulation it's about love so i want that writer to stand up so everybody can see him which now in normal circumstances that would have been you know i don't like to have any attention uh called to me but in that situation it was not easy for me to stand up so um you know that that added to the uh factor and of course i'm with a group of guys you know so they're of course you know making fun of me and needling me but at least they also were able to help me stand up so um yeah that was my charles erwin story yeah it's hilarious man i have more of charles and I, I almost wish i was the drunk guy at the table uh <laughs> all right uh by the way i have to follow up on that uh, the organ is not about articulation. It's about love. That's what he said. Yes. Yeah. What's the, what's the conflict there? What's the distinction articulation versus love? There's uh, there. Why? Well, I, I think I don't think there's any distinction whatsoever. Do you think I was going to debate the point that <laughs> night? You think I was not in any shape to, uh, there is so much love that pours out of uh, Charles Erlen uh, and uh, that that black talk. All right, here we go. Let's see if I can. Anyway, but the 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 kicker to that is that um, uh, I became friendly with uh, Harvey Picar, who 
was the creator of the comic book series American Splendor, and then there was the movie uh, made about Harvey as well. So um, Harvey put that whole story in an American Splendor comic, and um, the great cartoonist Joe Sacco did the artwork uh, for that. So um, it got immortalized in comic yeah. book form, but I did not want my name used at that time because you know, I, I wanted to be uh, taken seriously as a jazz critic back then. Um, so um, my name is not on that story. Uh, you were so much older then. You're younger than that now. Uh, and uh, all right, let's see if I could. Uh, I'm always trying to trip up Aaron Cohen on uh, trivia. And uh, every now and then, every now and then, ladies and gentlemen, I do it. Let's see if I could do it now. Spot. He doesn't have his phone. He doesn't He doesn't know this is coming. For 10 trivia points, Aaron Cohen, on the album Black Talk, uh, which features the great song, I Love You More Today Than Yesterday, which I urge everybody to go out and listen to. Who is the drummer? It wasn't Bernard Purdy, was it? No. Oh, I knew I'd get you. Because <laughs> everybody is still Yeah, on the album. Uh, Idris Muhammad. All right, okay. let's move Idris on. Uh, ah, yeah. Now, what was Idris Muhammad's uh, real name? Uh, oh, AC! <laughs> <laughs> well, not his real name. His real name is... His uh, original name. I mean, what was his birth name? Original birth name, right. Uh, I do not know. What is it? Leo Morris. Very good. Yeah. Did he actually start out in jazz with that name? He started he... out well. He started out actually playing drums with Sam Cooke, um, and um, then he became Idris Muhammad. I think after his time with Sam Cooke. Got it. Wow, just you uh, really went up me there. Well, I got the initial question wrong. Because... Yeah. <laughs> we'll edit that out. Don't worry, Aaron. That's okay. Uh, all right. Uh, so you're doing. Um, you're working with the great Ramsey Lewis. Yes. Uh, on his autobiography. And when I saw this on Facebook, I immediately called you up. I don't want to bore you with a recitation of how much I love Ramsey Lewis and have loved him since the 1960s. Uh, but someday, if we're together and I'm drunk, I probably will uh, bore you with that recitation. Uh, instead, why don't you take a moment uh, to just explain to our listeners uh, how important and significant Ramsey Lewis is uh, as a Chicagoan, as a musician, as a disc jockey, as a p uh, pianist, etc., and much more. So go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know if I have enough time to talk about all that Ramsey Lewis has accomplished in his 87 years, but crucial, especially here in Chicago. Uh, Ramsey Lewis, who has lived his whole life in Chicago, he you know, was from Gabrini Green. And he you know, lived on South Shore, but for a while. But I think the main thing is that he was classically trained and also gospel trained. So he came up through the AME, uh, African uh, AME Church, and as well as studying classical music. And then as a young man, became into got into jazz. And he became the leader of the Ramsey Lewis Trio in the 1950s and into the 1960s. And they actually had some pop hits, not just jazz hits, but crossover pop hits. Uh, the In Crowd, their version of The In Crowd being their big mid-60s pop hit. And he brought that gospel feel to everything he did in terms of uh, jazz piano playing. And some people would say it's a blues influence, but it really, it came from the church. And as a improviser, he never left the church, so to speak. And he also had that the classical technique that he brought to what he did. But what was also really fascinating about Ramsey Lewis's music is as successful as he was, and he was recording 
a heck of a lot too. We were recording for Chess, and they had him cranking out album after album. Was that you know as much as he was interested into classical music, into traditional jazz, and into um, a gospel, he was also very open to new experimental ideas. So when there were people like the composer arranger Charles Stepney with his very experimental musical ideas for what to do on a record and you know Ramsey Lewis embraced him and you know they worked together on you know a bunch of wonderful albums from the late 1960s and then in the early 70s um Ramsey Lewis was very much into bringing in these young funk musicians uh like the late percussionist Dirk, Dirk Recklaw and the guitarist uh, Byron Gregory and he was doing these great jazz funk albums like Salongo and then um he was also a mentor to Maurice White, and Maurice White was the drummer in Ramsey Lewis's group for a number of years. Maurice White goes on to form Earth, Wind, and Fire. So, you know, Ramsey Lewis had his foot in this sort of jazz funk that was really happening in the early 70s. And a lot of those records have been sampled uh, quite a bit in hip hop. So, you know, Ramsey Lewis was someone who kept his musical integrity. He kept his musical commitment and his commitment to the heritage while also being open to new ideas. And it was always very fun music too, as experimental as it was. It never lost that sense of fun. And he kept, you know, evolving his music. And not too long ago, um, you know, he was doing these large scale uh, symphonic works as well. And, you know, working, collaborating with um, classical musicians and performers and dancers on these larger symphonic works, you know, when he was in his 80s. And so that was really incredible. And then, as you mentioned, too, he also hosted uh, jazz programs on the radio, um, WNUA, which was known for smooth jazz, but he was bringing in, you know, classic, uh, real jazz performances to that station as well, and very committed to bringing in, you know, real jazz on the radio, and was very popular as a radio host in doing so, and on TV as well. So just so many different aspects of media that Ramsey Lewis was very much a part of. And again, doing it all here in Chicago. Yeah, no, that's a, a good uh, encapsulation just uh, of Ramsey Lewis career and his impact. I like how you brought in the WNUA thing because I remember listening, uh, I think it was the nineties. I've lost track of time, Aaron. Uh, and a WNUA. I heard all the time. <laughs> My kids would be in the car. Like, it's it. <laughs> We're listening to this. Okay. Uh, and smooth jazz. Now, all right. Uh, well, that's the, and that's an interesting point. And this is going to come out in the book is that, you know, the people who ran the station wanted to have this sort of smooth jazz format. And Ramsey Lewis was very insistent on playing people like Count Basie and Duke Ellington, you know, people who you and I, and most of the world would think of as real jazz. And he really, um, you know, conveyed that necessity to include them in the programming. And I think that was really important. No, I'm, I'm going to throw a curveball at you, Darren, expecting. Let's see how he ducks and dodges this one. So I've had guests on this show. We, every now and then we have a, a jazz guest or two, and I'm not going to name names, uh, who refuse. They, they told me they do not want me to ask them about Kenny G. And I'm not talking about Ken Griffin, uh, the former, uh, uh, the formerly the richest man in the state of Illinois who funded, uh, you know, we could talk politics all day. <laughs> Richard Irvin's campaign and now uh, moved to Florida. Not talking political junkies. I'm not talking about that. I always call him Kenny G because I'm naming him for uh, the sax player, Kenny G. Uh, and I just watched the doc. I didn't just, but about six months or so, I watched a documentary about Kenny G. 
I think it was on HBO, which I found a fascinating documentary. And these jazz guys come up. I'm not answering. I'm not watching the documentary. I'm not talking about Kenny G. And in the documentary, there's just open contempt expressed for Kenny G uh, by various critics uh, and a few jazz uh, musicians themselves uh, because they feel as though um, he is just destroying the sound of jazz. Do you share that disdain that so many uh, people in jazz have for Kenny G? Well, you know, I have to see that documentary. I've heard a lot about that documentary, and I've heard that it's a very interesting, well-made uh, documentary that takes in many different perspectives. So um, I just haven't gotten around to seeing it yet. So I, I can't comment, uh, you know, on that documentary until I see it. And, um, you know, I have to say I've not listened to his music um, in a very long time. Uh, I met him years ago when I was at Downbeat, and, you know, he wasn't a particularly interesting guy to talk to you know i can say that i can say his music is not particularly something that i would choose to listen to um if other people do i mean i'm not gonna attack other people's musical you know choices um with some exceptions but um you know if um you know if, he, if people like to listen to him that's their that's their prerogative i'm not gonna you know i choose what i listen to and you can see in back of me all the records i choose to purchase if other people you know, want to listen to him, that's, that's their, you know, that's their thing. So, um, but again, that documentary you mentioned, I've heard very interesting things about, so I would like to see it. You should watch comment. it. Yeah, yeah, I could. Yeah. I just haven't had the time. You watch but, it. By the way, I'm going to say this, uh, if Aaron Cohen ever wants to get out of the writing business, uh, and the, uh, critiquing business, what a politician he would. <laughs> that was some smooth dancing there, Aaron Cohen. Okay. Well, no, I mean, I just, I, it's just like I say, I, I, when I was younger, uh, the younger me, the the one who would go to Green Mill and get tanked, um, would be very um, critical of other people's yeah. musical taste and would be yeah. very disdainful and dismissive of other people if I felt their taste was not. I don't do that. I don't do that. I'm, I'm really happy that you said that uh, for many different reasons. Uh, and people make fun of me for some of the stuff that I still like. Like the other day I was in a car with my wife and a Carpenter song came on. And I turned it on real, oh, I love this part of the song where Karen is singing. And my wife goes, this, she goes, I don't know what's worse, listening to this Carpenter song or having to hear you sing the Carpenter song. <laughs> you know, I like the Carpenters and she's actually a decent drummer. Yes. You know? um, people need to, you know, give her credit for that. Um, no, I don't, again, I don't, if people like music, that's great. I mean, for instance, I mean, let me make the one exception. The one exception would be if I knew somebody who like, went out to see uh, Ted Nugent because they appreciated his spoken word, uh, you know, <laughs> diatribes. Well, then, yeah, then I'd be critical, but that's, that's a rare case in point. I can't think of any uh, performer, maybe you can correct me, uh, any musician uh, in the realm of music that I really like, uh, be it uh, RV, soul, jazz, uh, who's an outspoken MAGA person. Okay, so you meant Ted Nugent, who's outspoken MAGA. He loves MAGA. I didn't like Ted Nugent's music before he went MAGA, or before I was aware he went MAGA. Uh, can you think of anybody in the yeah. room? In people who I, yeah, I mean, I used to like uh, John Lydon, but um, I, I don't listen to him anymore. Um, and there's some others who I've heard rumors were MAGA people, but I, I don't want to say who they are because um, those are just rumors and I don't want to, okay. you know say so but they are there are a few jazz people who i used to enjoy who are i've heard 
MAGA people, but I don't want to name them because right, um, name them. No. Um, I was trying to give like jazz people were above it all, uh, too smart to fall for that. But, you know, nobody's perfect. All yeah. right. So uh, I know you can't there are some. Away. I just don't want to name them you know, so, right now. So explain a little bit about I know you don't want to give away uh, what the book's about. You want people to buy the book and read the book or in my case, probably check it out of the library. That's how I do it these days. Um, so uh, what's the process like of working with the great Ramsey Lewis? Oh, it's been uh, wonderful. Um, you know, we um, I used to go to his place and interview him, but we've done it over Zoom uh, for the most part these past number of months. And, uh, you know, about an, uh, uh, every you know week we'd speak for from a half hour to an hour. And, um, you know, then I would transcribe it. Um, but at the same time, I'm also interviewing people who work with him and getting different perspectives as well. Uh, for instance, uh, Red Holt, who was the drummer in the Ramsey Lewis uh, trio at first, and they split. And so I wanted to get Red Holt's perspective on that as well as Ramsey Lewis's. So I'm including um, his voice. Um, and again, most of the other people I've interviewed have been over the phone, but uh, Ramsey's been a wonderful person to talk to. Um, you know, just really great, gracious, funny, smart. Um, I really uh, very much enjoyed uh, the experience of spending time with him. That's been one of the rewards of working on this book. Have you gotten to the seventies yet? As you're doing it in a chronological order where you start with, you know, his early years at Cabrini Green and the, what, the 30s. Well, we haven't gone strictly chronological. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of times there are things that come up that I think of and I'll jot it down. And then when we speak, um, I'll speak with him. Um, one of the things about the 1970s, and I mentioned um, Durf Recklaw, who played on his Salongo album and other great albums from the 70s and, you know, wrote some of the great compositions on those albums. And I interviewed Durf about three weeks before he died um, this past year. So, you know, I didn't want to go strict chronology and I'm glad I didn't because we were able to have a very beautiful conversation um, just before he passed. And so that would lead to other, when I would get back to Ramsey and we would talk about, you know, what we talked about and you know, what I talked about with Durf about the 1970s. But with that too, there are a lot of surprising things. There are things that I would just turn up in my research that um, I would remind um, Ramsey about that happened a long time ago. I'm not going to say what they are because you got to read the book, but um, that'll lead us to another uh, avenue of discussion because well, there are some very interesting things that have happened to him that didn't get a lot of press. And, um, you know, I felt the need to bring those up with him. Well, I, I am looking forward to it. Uh in particular to where he talks about his relationship with Maurice White. Maurice White uh, was the was the founder of Earth, Wind & Fire, which is one of the most popular bands in the world. Uh, I, I, that's a band that's obviously uh, transcended generations, so they're getting sampled to this day. Oh, yeah. And um, they did an album in the mid I know Aaron knows this, uh, Inside Out, but that was hugely, imp uh, imp it really impacted young me. I didn't want to make this too much about me. But I was like, I must have listened to this record 50 billion times uh, when I was uh, 20 years old. Uh, and it's called Sun Goddess. Um, and have you gotten to that section of Ramsey? Oh, we've Lula? talked about it. Oh, yes. Um, you know, recorded here. And I also spoke with um, Verdeen White, uh, Maurice White's brother, who played on Sun Goddess. So we did talk quite a bit about Sun Goddess and how that came about and the effect of Sun Goddess and its impact on ramsey and on music so we we do have a lot to say about sun goddess all right i'm look, really looking forward to that that uh, I, I, i'll be anywhere and i hear that song and i go 
uh, right back to a certain moment, you know, this song i love this moment of my life everything i love about this and that's that thing we'll probably have a longer conversation there when your book comes out about this but uh, jazz musicians like ramsey lewis and donald bird i think i may have mentioned this to you uh and, and charles erland too like in the, when the 70s hit i i felt like their brain was working they go i i want to make some money i could do this stuff i could do this earth wind and fire stuff better than earth wind and fire and you know donald bird actually you could argue did it better than earth wind and fire I feel Ramsey Lewis was kind of in that uh, category. Your thoughts? Well, I think it wasn't that he was, Ramsey Lewis was in that category. I think in many ways, Ramsey Lewis created that category. So um, I think that's one of the things that we're going to come up with in the book is that, you know, that whole idea. And it wasn't that Ramsey Lewis, you know, sat in a lab and, and thought of it, you know, he just did it. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the beautiful things about Ramsey Lewis's um, career is that he just did it and it became such a big thing. And then, um, you know, so yeah, I mean, uh, Ramsey Lewis was there. Um, actually, uh, I'm trying to think if, if Donald Byrd was doing what he was doing before Ramsey. I no, I think Ramsey was doing it before even Donald Byrd. Black but um, came out and write uh I could do this because I remember I used to I, I wore that album. Oh yeah, no, great album. Great yeah. album. Uh, <laughs> I think 1973. Yeah. And, so that uh, was yeah. So yeah. Ramsey was doing his thing way before then. Yeah. So for sure. Yeah. All right. Um before we get uh to I want to promote something you got coming up on Thursday. I want to go through some obituaries and and talk about some great talents uh in the world of uh, music uh, that i loved very much and i guess we should start with lamont dozier from a uh, great songwriter from motown he passed i think he was 80 something years old about a week ago uh aaron why don't you tell people the significance of the legacy oh well, lamont dozier i mean so many my god so many hits that he wrote or co-wrote with um eddie and brian holland as you know um holland dozier holland and they were one of the main songwriting teams at Motown from around 1963 until they left Motown around 1967. And just, I mean, so many, so many hits that they wrote for the Supremes, for the Four Tops, uh, Marvin Gaye, Martha and the Vandellas. I mean, we're talking Stop in the Name of Love and, you know, Jimmy Mac and, and so many other uh, just great songs that were not hits, were just great songs like Smokey Robinson's The Miracles. Um, you know, come on, the one you need. And then um, they had their split with uh, Motown. And then they went on their own, um, still writing songs, uh, Frida Payne's Band of Gold. Um, they had to write that one under pseudonyms because they were still in legal trouble with uh, Motown. But then he was also a great singer, too. And, you know, he recorded some great songs that he wrote in the 1970s, Fish Ain't Biting and in the mid seventies, um, loved the love and beauty album, which I recommend everybody, um, pick up. So very soulful singer, as well as being just such a great writer. And, you know, just imagining the way those guys had to like, you know, not just, um, you know, pump out so many songs that became hits, but in direct competition, you know, at Motown with so many other great songwriters like Smokey Robinson and, you know, convey like so much emotional impact in their songs in these really short segments of time. Now, again, you know, we also have to give credit to the singers themselves, whether it was Martha Reeves or the musicians like the bassist, James Jamerson, but just being a part of that team and just doing it constantly so often. I mean, it's just amazing how much of American song can go back to what Lamont Dozier did in just those, you know, 1960s, 1970s years. 
Now he was the did he write the he wrote he wrote the melodies correct well that's the funny thing so i you know there, there was those two brothers you know brian and and, and eddie holland and lamont dozier said that he was kind of like the bridge between yes. them in terms of lyrical ideas um, melodic ideas um but then um there were some you know lyrics that he wrote that um you know came out of his experience uh the supremes um stop in the name of love which monster hit that he wrote and he said the lyrics were um based on like i can't remember the whole story but it was involving like when he was with one girlfriend and another girlfriend was you know after them or something and another one was chasing them and then um uh jimmy mack he wrote the lyrics um you know based on um the death of another singer ronnie mack so yeah i mean a lot of his lyrics were based on his life experiences but he also had a hand in the melody as well and a hand in the production as well i mean he had to be so multi-versed and like i say he was also a very good singer too so just incredible and well, such a loss I, I uh one of my favorite lines in the history of music uh is from a, a, a band of gold the frida Payne song he alluded to and i'm doing this off of memory so i, I i'll tell you it's my favorite line but i could screw it up uh, but that night on our honeymoon, uh, we stayed in separate rooms, which, <laughs> you know, they were breaking up, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, and now that, I don't know if there, what the, the story was behind that. In fact, I just kind of don't want to know because it must have been really sad. You know, I'm laughing, yeah. but I shouldn't laugh. But yeah, it must have been a really sad story, you know, to, you know, that that's the, behind that song for sure. Yeah, I'd like to give him credit for it, but who knows who actually wrote it. Uh, well, they all had a hand in it. I mean, him and Hollins had a hand in it. So, yeah, I mean, give credit to everybody who was involved in that song, for sure. So did you ever have a moment with him? Did you ever meet no, him? I, I, no, I, un unfortunately, I never met him. Would have loved to have met him, but no, I never did. Yeah. All right, let's talk about uh, the Delphonics. Uh, I, 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 when um, William Hart died, the lead singer for the Delphonics, I think I may have sent you the article. I sent it to a lot of people. I don't know if I sent it to you. Uh, I felt really sad that day. Uh, well, when I read the opiate, I don't know. I think he may have already died. Anyway, uh, talk about uh, the Delphonics. Well, you know, the Philadelphia, yeah. In the early 70s, they had so many great hits coming out of Philadelphia. And they worked with Tom Bell, uh, the great composer and arranger. And um, William Hart wrote, you know, a good number of the songs with uh, Tom Bell. And... And he had such a beautiful high voice. And I think one of the things about his voice that I find so appealing is that there's this, you know, maybe it's just me projecting, but, you know, when he sang, there was this sort of like sense of wonder, you know, when he was singing, you know, he sort of expressed this sort of like, you know, he certainly was a, a fully grown adult, but he still would like express just through the way he sang this childlike sense of wonder, you know, and ready or not. You know, here I come yeah. to find you, or la 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 means I love you. I mean, just the way he sang those with, you had a sense that there's this purity there. Um, I don't like to use that word, you know, innocence or purity because it can connote different things, but, you know, it just has this real beauty in that. And it wasn't a simplicity either, but um, just a sense of yearning and just sounded like, you know, what one doesn't lose from childhood came through his voice and those songs i think for a lot of people uh from the next generation down uh the delphonics uh they may not have heard them because their heyday was the 70s i want to say uh aaron when i was really into <laughs> current music uh but 
they play a role or their music plays a role in a 1990s movie one of my favorite movies of all time called jackie brown uh, by pam greer yes Take a moment to appreciate the great Pam Greer. <laughs> I love Pam Greer a little more than I want to admit uh, back in the 70s. But I just love that movie, Jackie Brown. First of all, it's a tribute to uh, Pam Greer in so many ways. Uh, and uh, But there's this moment. I, have you seen the movie? A long time ago, yeah, when it came out, yeah. Well, the Delphonics play like a significant role in that movie sure. uh, in, in, in sort of developing the relationship between uh, the Robert Forrester character the um who's a uh, he runs a pawn shop uh and uh the pam greer character jackie brown i don't want to give any way if anybody believe it or not is listening to me he's not seeing jackie brown i urge you to run run out and see it uh but there's i think uh i want to say that it's didn't i blow your mind uh is the song yeah. uh that they play in the background uh, and it's just like Robert For- Forster is falling in love with Pam Greer, and that song is just intensifying it. And uh, that song just conveys um, just so much love, I feel, you know, uh, Aaron, and just so much romance. Uh, and, and that's oh. the thing. Yeah. And the way he sings it, um, the, the way uh, Hart sings it, there's no like, it's not like overly aggressive. It's not, you know, I mean, no one's going to, you know, mistake him for, you know, Tyrone Davis, you know. Um, so uh, there's just that that sensibility. Um, you think that he's very delicate when he sings it. He's, he's not. But you think that he's about to like, you know, something about him is going to break. And it's lovely. It's beautiful. It's it's so, it's, yeah, it is used very, very well in that film, for sure. If I remember. I urge everybody to go watch Jackie Brown. You know what? I've shown I when I've shown Jackie Brown to millennials, younger people. And they go, it's kind of long, you know, and it is kind of long. You know, it's QT in the '90s. He's like, I, <laughs> time doesn't matter to me. I'm Quentin Tarantino, so I'm gonna let it go. Uh, but then there's that unbelievable moment uh, with Samuel Jackson and Robert Forrester in the car. I don't know if you remember this. <laughs> he ties it all together with the Delphonics because. Uh, Forrester has gone out and bought a, 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 a little cassette of Delphonic's greatest hits and he's listening to it all the time and it's in his car and so when Samuel Jackson turns on the car, Samuel Jackson's driving Forrester's car and he turns it on you hear, and the Delphonics come on and he goes, you like the Delphonics? It was just, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any moments with the Delphonics? Did you ever meet them over? No, again, I wish I did. Um, you know, um, yeah, I wish I did. What about Tyrone Davies? You mentioned him. Uh, if I could turn back to hands of time. Yeah, no, he died before um, I had any encounters with him. Um, Is that right? He's been, he passed a while ago. Yeah, a while ago. Um, great Chicago singer. Yeah, no, uh, he played a lot. I mean, it was it was you know he played at you know blues fest and stuff. But I never had any opportunity you know to go over and say hi. I love your music. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I mean maybe looking back, I should have. I mean, looking back, I you know obviously. Um, you know, and I should have made an opportunity to meet him, but um, you know, I just never. So speaking of Chicago, you a great singer, Sam Gooden. Sam Gooden, uh, that really hit me. Um, he was the bass voice, bass voice in the Impressions, the great group with Curtis Mayfield, and you know, coming out of Chicago and their harmonies on the 1960s recordings, whether it's you know, people get ready. So our choice of colors or this is my country and not only was his bass voice such a great um, counterpart to curtis mayfield's high tenor but 
he was really sort of like the bedrock of the group because he was with the group from its very beginning. He was with the impressions uh, after Curtis left, but they were still a very good group. And he stayed with them up until, you know, they stopped performing, I believe about four years ago. So he was the real sort of foundation, the bedrock of this group, along with being such a great singer. And, you know, I did get a chance to spend time with him um, in my then girlfriend, now wife and I spent time with him in the spring of um, 2008 when they were here and I was helping work on an impressions documentary and just a wonderful, wonderful, warm man. Um, you know, he, um, he gave me some very good marital advice and um, he told my wife about how his mother used to pack sandwiches for the impressions when they would go on the road. So, you know, certainly, a major part of that whole you know experience of touring as an african-american group in the 1960s and um just a beautiful voice beautiful man a beautiful part of chicago's musical legacy and soul music as well uh and can you remember the advice he gave you that could oh, yeah. marriages mm -hmm. go ahead oh no no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell it Oh, it to me, he didn't give it to everybody. That's <laughs> oh, just one of the advantages of getting to interview a great singers. Uh, would they stay, uh, say, singers? well, he was also a minister too. He, um, and okay. he, that was part of his, you know, spiritualism. Yeah. I, I believe his advice was you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. There's a it song. wasn't too far from that. I, I will say that it wasn't, it wasn't too far removed from that. Yeah. You know what? And just in general, ladies and gentlemen, you ever want to give some advice? Just say that, okay? Yeah. It was it was not too far removed from that. Uh, all right, very good. All right, uh, and uh, you got coming up uh, something that's really cool uh, that'll be coming up. I want to say. Well, you tell the date. I think it's sure. Thursday. So um, Thursday, uh, the eighteenth, at uh, G Man Tavern on thirty seven forty North Clark. I'm hosting with Ava Cherry a book release for her memoir, All That Glitters. Uh, Ava Cherry is a Chicagoan, uh, grew up here, and is a soul singer, a model, and she might be best known as being David Bowie's girlfriend and muse in the 1970s. She inspired much of David Bowie's move towards soul music uh, for what became the Young Americans album. Ava Cherry was also one of the backup singers on that album. Um, but there's a whole lot more to Ava Cherry than just her time with David Bowie. She recorded here for Curtis Mayfield's Curtom Records, an album called Ripe. She was a backup singer for Luther Vandross. Um, she was a fashion star. And um, she also had some very interesting uh, interactions with some other uh, very big stars of the 1970s, including Bob Marley. And we will be talking about all of that on uh, Thursday at G-Man, 3740 North Clark at uh, 7, and that's this Thursday. Uh, ticket gets you a copy of her book, which she will gladly sign and personalize for all of you. I would definitely buy the book. There. Yeah, I would definitely be there. I'm going to actually be out of uh, not a, not able to go on that Thursday, but man, I would love to be there uh, that night. I'll buy the book anyway. Well, she's a lot of fun. She's just a fun person. I mean, you can, you know, really tell. Uh, even though it was many, many years ago, you can tell why people like David Bowie, uh, you know, fell in love with her. You can tell why people like Curtis Mayfield wrote and produced for her, and yeah. uh, you can tell why 
you know, Luther Vandross wanted um, her by his side when he became a solo singing star. So um, she tells it all in her book. Uh, she has a lot of great stories, uh, a lot of fun. I'm not going to tell you what those anecdotes are because you got to come out and hear them from her. Well, I, I have to say this now, and uh, I'm just going to speak from my heart and get your response. You can come back with it, whatever you want. So I was not a big David Bowie fan back in the day. I'm not going to rewrite history, okay? I was not a big David Bowie fan. Uh, but as time has gone on, uh, Aaron, uh, I've he's one of those rockers that I like more and more. And there's very few, very few rockers that I believe has stood the test of time. But John Lennon, top of the list. You know, I love John Lennon now even more than I loved him back in the day when he did the Beatles. Uh, and Neil Young, I put him on that. Like he just says something about him, it just gets better and better. And I put David Bowie. I didn't even like David Bowie's music back in the day in real time, but I really like it now. And um, I saw a documentary. I think it's called. It's I forget the number. It's either fifteen or twenty feet from stardom, and it's a documentary about backup singers. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a clip. And you could see this clip on YouTube, by the way. It's it's instantly available. So anybody hears this can watch it on YouTube of David Bowie recording a Young Americans, uh, which is one of the few songs by him I liked in real time. I really liked that song. And I did not know this until I saw the clip. But Luther Vandross is one of the backup singers. And uh, I'm pretty sure uh, that Ava Cherry is a backup singer as yeah. well. Mm -hmm. She's there. Right, yeah. And I watched that clip and I'm like, that's part of the song where they go, uh, they start doing the Beatles song right in the middle. I'm, I'm I got the news today, oh boy. I got the news today, oh boy. It's so good. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. The backup singers are better than the lead singer. It's just pure singing, you know what I'm saying? But I got to give Bowie credit. He wrote the song. It was so I'm not hating on Bowie. <laughs> Well, there's another you, you can, i was talking earlier about watching stuff on youtube and there's a clip on youtube of um that group on the dick cabot show and um david bowie sings young americans as well as an early version of fame that was at that point called foot stomp and an ava cherry is very present in the those two performance clips so and you know she looks great and you know you, the camera loves her so and bowie clearly loves her too so um, I recommend watching those YouTube clips. Are, are you a David Bowie fan? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you're not. I would say in real time you were too young. There's like well, a twenty year. No, I mean I was. You know, he was still he's still making hits up until he was still making records up until his his death. Um, you know, I should have seen him live. I just never did, and I feel very you know stupid about that. Um, you know, I had many opportunities to see him live. I never did, but I always loved, always loved his records. So all right, I I may have asked you this. Every time you've been on the show, I'll ask you again because I can't remember the answer, and I just want to ask the question because some people may be hearing you for the first time uh, and wonder it themselves. So uh, Aaron is significantly younger than I am, uh, and uh, we both went to the same high school. ETHS. Uh, ETHS. We both did as about as mediocre uh, as <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that ordinarily, but Aaron has shared me with me is <laughs> I was not a stellar. No. I was, I was no, one of those no. kids at ETHS uh, that they invented uh, social promotion for. Like, can we get rid of this guy? That's okay. I appreciate some of the stuff I learned there. Um, yeah, there's but, some good stuff. Uh, they, okay. So you came out, uh, you were in the 80s, all right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how was it that a kid in the 80s uh, found his way to music 
from the 60s how how did that happen well the records are still available um you know it was real it wasn't hard to get records but you know since you bring up evanston um you know i think i can't talk about what it was like when you were there um when you lived there when you grew up there but when i grew up there um there's just so many opportunities to access anything um you know there were great used record stores in Evanston. And there still are great record stores in Evanston. Uh, let me my shout out to Squeezebox. Um, but, you know, back then, um, you know, go on Dempster Street and, you know, spend the day, you know, going to the different stores. Um, Chicago was so close by. Um, it was so easy to get to Chicago. It was so easy to um, tune into a very good uh, college station, WNUR, and listen to whatever. So, um, and I was fortunate too, you know, my, my parents liked music. Um, we had a neighbor, Jim Newman, who um, had a very large um, jazz record collection. Um, one of the largest actually in the United States. Um, it's at Oberlin now. And so there was always stuff around that one could, if one was open to checking things out, then that one could. Um, so I think that was, I was very fortunate to have grown up at that time at that place to have access to so much stuff and i think you know we were talking earlier about spotify you were talking earlier about you know listening to stuff online and there's so much stuff available now it's so easy with the click of a button anybody can have access to anything and um you know there certainly wasn't as much easily available when i was growing up but there certainly was a heck of a lot that um you know, might not have been as easy to get a hold of, but it was certainly there just a few steps away from wherever we wanted to be if we were growing up in Evanston. Well, uh, somehow or other, I understand what you're saying. You're being too modest. Uh, yes, the, the, the albums are available if you want to find them. The key is the desire to find them. Uh, so for a kid who's coming of age in the 80s, looking back 20 years before, uh, it, it's, it's unique. That's all I'll say. And there, there were kids like that at Evanston when I went there uh, who were like looking back at jazz in the 60s and the early in the late 50s. So uh, but there, it's always a small minority of kids who look who break free of where their generation is at that moment in time and look at a different generation. It's it is kind of uh, unique, Aaron. Well, it's funny. I remember. Um... Gosh, I remember this is one of these like memories when I don't know if they had the the PSATs when you were in high school, but when I was in high school, there were the PSATs, which were you took before the SAT. It was like pre-SAT or something. More torture. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. Pre-SAT? The SAT is not <laughs> yeah, exactly tough as if the SAT wasn't enough. Oh, so I had to take the PSAT in the morning. And I remember taking it in the morning. I remember in the afternoon uh going to the record exchange on Dempster Street and uh, picking up uh, a Sam and Dave album. And um, I remember that moment and I took home album home and listened to it and loved it very, very much. And I just remember thinking, okay, what's, what's my direction going to be, you know? So I thought about that record much more than I thought about that standardized test, which I don't even know if they have anymore. I don't know. It's, I still have the record, you know? Yeah. And all you have is a distant bad memory of a standardized test. Uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, one more time. Tell folks uh, where you'll be on Thursday. Uh, oh, yes. Thursday at the G-Man on 3740 North Clark. And I am thrilled that I'll be there with the wonderful Ava Cherry. Ava Cherry is releasing her memoir, All That Glitters. And it's a book release event. You can go to the G-Man website and get a ticket. And for that ticket, you'll not only get a copy of her book, but she will 
sign it for you. And that's on Thursday, the 18th at seven o'clock. And I'll be on stage speaking with her as well. And she'll also be available to answer uh, audience questions as well. Yeah. And I'm really glad you said Thursday, the August 18th, uh, 2022. I'll add that yes. because uh, podcasts last forever. Well, they do. Yes. The last one we did, you'd be stunned like every day or maybe every other day there's a hit on it. So somebody would be like in the year 2027, 20, wait, oh yeah, we're in October. Uh, anyway, next time we're in the show, we didn't even talk about this one. I'll tease. This is called a tease in radio. I'm going to tease it. Uh, the liner notes on uh, the music from John Hughes movie. Oh yeah, yeah, that, that comes uh, that's out more in line November. with his generation. Okay, <laughs> so what he was paying attention to music coming out in the eighty. I can't wait. Well, there's uh, there's more to that story than that. So, um, but that comes out in November. Um, yeah, so we can talk about it whenever. We'll talk about. We'll bring you back uh, to talk about that, and I'll have to do some homework on that because I was already not listening to music in the eighty. But I'll 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 go back and listen to it and. I won't be as mean and nasty as some of my jazz purists are about Kenny G. Oh yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm not a purist. I mean, no, listen, I, I just, mean, life, life is short. If you like to listen to something, have at it. You know, I'm not gonna bemoan anybody. Well, one thing you're gonna learn if if you watch, and I urge you to watch the 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 documentary because it's fascinating on many levels. But Kenny G is huge in China. Oh, he's yeah, yeah, huge in China. And you know what's so funny, ladies and gentlemen? I'm just gonna throw this out there. You know, I watched, there's a great John Coltrane uh, documentary, and they talk about with reverence how he's so huge in Japan. And everybody loves John Coltrane. I mean, you know, he's one of the great geniuses. Of, but somehow or other, Kenny G being huge in China is not a big deal. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, Aaron. Yeah, I, I, have to see, well, no, I do have to see that documentary. Um, you I remember, though, we were talking about the, the Lee Morgan documentary, and that's oh, wonderful. That's, that's a wonderful, oh, wonderful documentary that everybody should see. Run, don't walk. That's a whole other show. I, I could do a whole Lee Morgan show. Lee Morgan was another guy, great jazz uh, trumpet player from the 50s. And he you could tell he he was like probably listening to Ramsey Lewis records going, oh, man, I want to I hit this market. Here we go. I gave you this uh, trivia question. We'll end where we began. Uh, and our, you already know the answer. What was the last uh, album that uh, uh, Lee Morgan worked on before he was murdered by his wife? Remember, I, I already... Yes, well, it was an album with Charles Erland. Uh, and I believe the drummer on that album uh, was, it may have been Bernard Purdy, so I'll uh, give you credit for that one. Um, although oh, I you, you, have to, you, you have to buy the, um, it's amazing, um, the box set of the complete Lee Morgan in, was it, uh, in California, in Hermosa Beach. It's a, oh, it's a God, CD yeah. set. Yeah, you got to get yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and I'm serious. I mean, I don't, I know that we all have, you know, limited income. We have limited funds, we have <laughs> limited space, but uh, you know, this Lee Morgan box set that came out is it last year. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. They talk about that in the documentary uh, going out to uh, Hermosa beach and that, uh, uh, that, that jazz club that's right there in the ocean. Yeah. Uh, and his Crusaders. playing is playing is on top of his game. And, and there's so many different things they do each night that you got to hear the whole, the whole collection um i mean the album that came out uh that was taken from that is great but um yeah even with people who have limited incomes i recommend that lee morgan uh, box all set. right uh very good and uh, we weren't even going to talk about lee morgan that'd be another whole, uh, yeah. show with oh yeah lee morgan uh anyway aaron cohen thank you so much 
uh, best well, of luck. With thank you for having me. I mean, like I said, I guess we couldn't talk about politics is all I would do would say, I agree with you, Ben. And <laughs> you express that better than anyone else, Ben. Uh, Cause I mean it, I mean it. I'm honest. You know, it's every time I read your column, it's like, yeah, that's something that needs to be said. And you know, yeah, well, I, uh, it was a nice break for politics. I'm about to do an interview in about 10 minutes, more politics. So <laughs> this was a nice break. Uh, all right. Uh, oh, that's, let me know. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, uh, this show will drop on Monday. I will send you a link. Uh, that's Aaron Cohen. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.